So these are going to be the words of Jesus Christ himself. If you need to close your eyes to help yourself from being distracted, or if you want to follow along, do either. Um, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. For by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would speak today to all of us through Ryan as your chosen instrument and leave no heart untouched. Lord, teach us what you want to learn today. And we praise you, God, for Ryan and the way he's prepared. And I pray you would speak clearly to us today. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So greater things, right? Uh, This is our third week in this series where we are looking at some, really some selections of Jesus's last night with his disciples that uh, uh, the Apostle John has just beautifully recorded for us in the Gospel of John. Um, And it's really about this, like right before Jesus left the world, he said to his disciples that they would do even greater things than he would do. And he said that because he would be going to the Father and he would send his spirit to work through those disciples. Now, I think it's easy for us to connect those dots to say, okay, through those 12 disciples, the church will begin, the church will start, it'll, it'll, it'll kind of take root. But what we often forget is that we are the manifestation of those disciples now. That those greater things that he promised to do through his disciples are the greater things that he longs to do through us. 
But when is the last time that you thought to yourself, that you saw yourself, and you thought, today I'm experiencing the greater things that Jesus desires to do through my life? When is the last time you considered that? When is the last time that you saw the Spirit working in your life, where you saw the advancement of the kingdom of God flowing through your life? For me, it's, it's not super often, right? I, I wish it was more often. I wish I felt the, the life-giving power of the Spirit flowing through my life more fully. And I'm not always aware of all that God is doing in my life and through my life, but I just wish that I would experience it more. I wish for you that you would experience it more. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes we feel so unworthy to be about God's kingdom in this world. And we let the shame and the doubt of our own uh, unworthiness keep us from obeying Jesus and letting his life flow through us. In short, we imagine a life where we constantly have to work for God's love and produce work or fruit, as the scriptures say today, for God that would make him pleased with us. Jesus turns this notion completely on its head, doesn't he? He says that life is not about manufacturing fruit, but it's about bearing his fruit, that it belongs to him, and he longs for our our lives to bear his fruit in this world. But we are prone, we are tempted to try to produce this kind of counterfeit fruit. Um, Jimmy Bedford, okay, this is a name that probably doesn't mean anything to you, but it does to me. And why? Because it was the first time I had had lunch with a criminal. (laughs) Are y'all awake this morning? Good, all right, good, all right, tracking with me. Um, my experience with Jimmy was initially um, great during my freshman and sophomore years of high school. We had uh, this group of guys that would sit together at lunch every week, and we would, we would. Uh, it was right after PE class, which I took every chance I could get, even to the extent that I didn't even get credit for a few of them that I took because I took it so many times. But this particular P- year, PE was right before lunch. And so you can imagine what a group of growing high school boys did every day at lunch. We consumed that rectangle pizza, corn, and chocolate milk like ravenous wolves, right? And I don't even know why they put those things together, but they did. Maybe it was a Kentucky thing, but I just vividly remember that meal. But, but we would, it wouldn't be enough for us to get a, a piece of pizza, some corn, and some chocolate milk. We were still hungry. And so Jimmy, Jimmy was this guy that, that, that would go, and he would get round two for us uh, at the cafeteria. We had this great snack line that you could get, you know, think, healthy things like frosted Pop-Tarts and uh, things of the like. And he would go and he would bring back a bounty back to the table and just dump it out on the table for us. It, it was amazing. It was great. Everybody loved Jimmy for Jimmy, but we also loved Jimmy for his snacks, okay? <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, it, this lasted for about a month or so when he was ridiculously generous to the table. And, and we were kind of like, it was just great. It was great for us. And so, um, as I remember it, uh, on this last day that I had lunch with Jimmy, though, it was a different day. Uh, Jimmy, had, Jimmy had went through the lunch line, had, a, had an arm full of, of, of snacks for us. He's walking back to the cafeteria table, and he has met with two men that are armed in police uniforms. And he is arrested. The snacks are set to the side, and he is carted out of the cafeteria. And we were like, what just happened to our 16-year-old friend? Now, it turns out that Jimmy was not only, you know, generous uh, during lunch, but apparently he had a little side hustle down in his basement where he was counterfeiting money. And so he was coming to the cafeteria 
And he would purchase snacks with fraudulent currency and buy it for his friends. So I tell you that story because I think there's a little bit of Jimmy Bedford in all of us. I don't think it was about the money for Jimmy. I don't think it was about the snacks for Jimmy. I think it was about his heart and desire to have friends and to be connected. And, uh, and I can really relate to that. I don't know about you. And I think it's the same with our friendship with the Lord. A lot of times we think that we have to produce something for the Lord to be lovable uh, to him. And um, each, each and every one of us desires this, this beautiful life, this, this life of abundance, this life of, of fullness, this life of fulfillment, and yet we fall so short of it so often. You know, this abundance of friendship, this abundance of provision, and as John 15 says, this abundance of joy, fullness of joy. And, I, and by the way, that's what I think this whole passage is about. It's about the Lord showing us the pathway to joy, which is our deepest longing. But the temptation is to pursue counterfeit fruit to make others feel like we're further along and lovable. But the appearance of godliness without the source of God, godliness, uh, it leads us to, to great sinfulness and a, a deep, dark pit. And today we want to look at what it looks like to, produce, to, to, to pursue this fruitful life um, by abiding in the vine. And so um, John 15 presents to us this amazing image of the Christian life. Uh, it's an image for me and for you and Jimmy Bedford and anybody else in between. And um, it's an image of a forever integrated, connected life full of abundance and blessing in our souls and it's for the world. It's for the sake of the world. It's an image of greater things that begin internally and they move externally in our lives. And I would argue that it, better than any other metaphor in the New Testament, describes the symbiosis of Christian identity and Christian mission. What God does in us and what God does through us. What it looks like for us to be about these greater things. And it's why Megan and I just really resonate with this idea of, of the root and the fruit so deeply, because it, of all images, reclaims what was lost in Genesis 3, to be deeply connected with our Father, with a unified heart um, and mission. So here's our big idea for today. The joy that we long to have in life is developed through the hidden work of abiding. And I think one of the key words there is the hidden work of abiding, the hidden work of abiding. So if you're a note taker, here's kind of the three hooks I want to hang my hat on today as we go through John 15. There's, there's much we could say, and so I'm not going to be able to say everything that I could, but here's, here's what I want us to focus on. The first thing is this, is that the Father is committed to our joy. He's more committed to our joy than we are, all right? The second thing is this, is that abiding in Jesus is how we receive this fullness of joy. And the third thing is this, is that fruitfulness is the evidence of abiding joy. So let's dig into this together. Uh, the, let's look at the Father, the Father's role in, uh, in our joy. As I was looking at this today, I think in John 15, 1 through 7, Jesus mentions either, either uh, alludes to his Father or mentions his Father by name eight times in 17 verses. Jesus is connected to his Father. This is that he's going out of the world. He wants his disciples to see the union that he has with his father that he is inviting them into. Yet most of us have a kind of a distortion as we look at our father in heaven. Like we're good with Jesus, but we're just not really sure about our father in heaven, right? If you're anything like me, I think I lean that way sometimes. And I, and I wish it wasn't so, but I do. 
Um, so you and I, you know, we're not, we're not all that different from Jimmy. We all desire to have this lasting happiness, this lasting joy, because we were made for it. And I think we can feel like we are alone in that pursuit. And so as we look at this kind of idea of abiding fruit, let's look at the Father here. The text says um, that Jesus has chosen us, that he's committed himself to us. He's pledged himself to us to keep us and to supply us with soul-keeping sap of his, the sap of his spirit that will produce fruit through us. He is the vine, and we are the branches. So what that means is, is that there is no opportunity for you or I to flourish without Jesus living inside of us. I know that sounds really simple. It's so hard to grasp though, isn't it? So as, as we think about him being the vine and us being the branches and him being connected to his father and his life connecting us back to the father, grafting us into the tree, into the vine, if you will, my question to you is this, is what is your general disposition toward your father in heaven? Do you, do you see your father in heaven as pursuing you, trying to, 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 uh, to, to press in and give you a depth of joy, a fullness of joy? Or do you see your father in heaven just kind of insecurely wondering if he's going to fly off the handle and make something bad happen in your life? I, I think a lot of people do is why I say that. He is so committed to your joy that he sent Jesus. Do you know that? That's the whole, the whole reason that he sent Jesus is so that we could be restored to the father and have a fullness of of joy. Is your father in heaven an absent father to you? Is he, is he a father that's never showing up when you need him to? Is that how you see him? Or is he a present father? Do you see him actively pursuing your good through his spirit in this world? Because it's important to see this whole purpose of the relationship between our father and his son, Jesus, who is our older brother, who has restored us to the father through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's important to see the, 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 just the, the mutual relationship of the Trinity and our connection to our Father in heaven, this fullness of joy that we were made for. Listen to John 15, 11. Again, I know Jessica did a great job reading it for us, but listen to this. Jesus has said all the vine and the branches metaphor. He's laid that all out. He's been in the upper room. They've left the upper room. Now they're walking along to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray where Jesus will be betrayed and he says, listen, all of these things that I've said over this, this wonderful Passover meal that we've had, all of these things that I've spoken to you, I've spoken them for this reason, that my joy, Jesus' joy, would be in them or in us, and that our joy would be full. All of the things that Jesus spoke, we could sum them up, in other words, that you and I would have joy have you ever thought about that before? That Jesus is after your joy, that the Father is after your joy through Jesus, who through the, the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, is what Hebrews tells us, right? For the joy that was set before him. The last time I thought about the cross, the first thing that came to my mind was not joy. But it was joy to Jesus because it would produce joy in us. That is the mystery of the gospel for us, church, that Jesus is after our joy. So if all this joy has one source and it's the Father in heaven, what does Jesus actively see his Father doing? Well, I think we can look at a couple things here. He says, this, he says, this, uh, he says, he says that he has this role in John 15, um, this role to advance our joy as the vine dresser, right? Now, uh, unless you're a 
horticulturist, um, you know, you, you may not be really familiar with what a vine dresser is. A vine dresser is a person that prunes, trains, and cultivates vines so that they may further flourish. So Jesus, he's our Father in heaven in this metaphor as the vine dresser. He is the one that is in charge of cultivating and causing fruit in our lives uh, to flourish and that we might have more and more fruit in our lives. He's the one that's in charge of the circumstances and our adaptations to those circumstances. He's got the big picture of my life and your life under control. There's nothing outside of the scope of his reach and control. He's purging his kingdom and our lives of things that don't lead to joy, to greater fruit, to more fruit, and he's trimming back the other parts of our lives that may be fruitful, but they could be more fruitful. Pruning is necessary for fruitfulness. Any, any, any farmer would tell you this, any, any horticulturist would tell you this, but the pruning shears of our father, they don't often immediately spark a sense of joy in our lives, do they? I love what uh, missionary Amy Carmichael says about this. This is a beautiful quote. She says this, what prodigal waste it appears to see scattered on the floor the bright green leaves and the bare stem bleeding in a hundred places from the sharp knife. She's talking about pruning. But with the tried and trusted husbandman, there is not a random stroke in it all. Nothing cut away which it would not have been a loss to keep and a gain to lose. Think about the pruning hand of the Father in your life. Things that have happened in your life that you really wish would not have happened. Areas of your life that you wish that you could have avoided, but when you look back, you see the tried hand of our Father shaping your life for greater fruitfulness. This is, what, this is what Jesus is talking about him. He sees his father pruning our lives, leading to greater fruitfulness. He's cultivating our lives for eternity. He doesn't have just this life in mind, but the next. He's preparing our hearts and our lives to have a greater capacity to bear fruit. <clears throat> Whose heart and will was behind the, the, Jesus' sacrifice for us? Who was it? It was the Father, right? It was the, it was the Father that was after our joy. And Jesus is our friend because the Father desires to befriend us. Think about that. The other thing that you see in this passage is that the Father is not only the vine dresser. He's not the, uh, only the one that's cultivating our lives in such a way where our lives will flourish more fully, but he's also our friend. Jesus has called us friend, and the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, example of friendship is when you're willing to give up your, your own life for the sake of another. The Father sent Jesus to befriend us so that we could befriend the Father again. That's the whole thing that the Father has been after. And our Father in, in heaven is an active Father. He's working not just for our joy, but for the fullness of our joy is what Jesus says. And when we believe this, everything changes about our experience in this life. We no longer feel the necessity to assert ourselves as victims of the pruning hand of a reckless father. But we see ourselves as deeply loved by God at each and every turn because he has proven faithful time and time again. So before we get into the vine and the branches, how are you relating to your father in heaven this morning? 
How are you responding to the pruning hand of his love and care in your life? Do you trust your father's hand in your life? Because I don't think we, I think we, we don't abide because we don't trust the father. And as we're going to see right now, as we get into this idea of abiding, abiding uh, is a command. It, it, it requires work for us to abide. It's a different kind of work. It's a, it's a different kind of work than we think God wants from us, but it is work. So as we dig into this, here's the second thing that I want to look at, that abiding in Jesus is how we get this fullness of joy. So Jesus says something interesting. He says, I, in John 15, uh, 1, I am the true vine. Isn't that an interesting statement? He's the true vine. So if he's the true vine, what does that tell us about the possibility of vines in the world? That there are possibly what? False vines. Very good. You guys are tracking with me. This is great. So he says this because there, there, is, there is false vines in this world. There are, there are false senses of life, security, and joy in this world that we can attach our lives to. So Jesus says, hey guys, I'm the true vine. You need to know that there are other things that you can get behind that you can base your life on that will not lead to fullness of joy, even though they will promise you that. And so he says, the work is to abide. And we've all got our own Jimmy Bedford kind of counterfeit tendencies to attach ourselves to things that are not Jesus, don't we? We're gonna explore that a little bit this morning, but hear what uh, Andrew Murray said about this idea of abiding. He's got this great book called Abiding Christ that I just devoured this week, and I would highly recommend it to anybody that wants to dig in deeper. He says this, he says, the great secret of abiding in Christ is this deep conviction that we are nothing. Like, it can't just be a conviction. It can't just be like a theological thing that we think about, but it's a conviction that we are actually nothing, and he is everything. As this is learned, it no longer seems strange to believe that our weakness is a hindrance to his saving power. In other words, what Murray's saying is, is that weakness is, the, is, is kind of the, the pathway that we often walk down to try to produce or manufacture counterfeit fruit by being connected to counterfeit vines. And so when you think about weakness in your life, what do you do with it? Well, our flesh says you got to hide it, you got to transform it, you got to change it. But what, is, what does Jesus say in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul's like, hey, Jesus, I'm weak. I could do a lot more for your kingdom if you just deal with this. He says, my power is made what in weakness? Perfect in weakness. In other words, your weakness plus his power equals kingdom advancing joy and, uh, and dominion in the world, which is crazy to us. Because it's the last thing the world is going to tell you is to be weak. But it's the most true thing about who you are. We are weak. We are nothing. Jesus knows this about us. And that's why he says, hey, look, here's the reality. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you don't believe that, you're not going to give your weakness to me. And therefore, your joy is going to be lacking because you're going to try to be strong on your own. Okay, so, so Jesus isn't concerned with our weakness. That's, that's helpful for us to hear hard for us to believe, hard for us to deal with. This is why the abiding life is a, is a, is a hidden life. So it's that passage I often come back to from Colossians 3, for we have died and our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. The abiding life is a hidden life. It's a life where your weakness is actually what makes you fit for his strength. That as we discover our weakness more and more, we, we, we desire to toss it more and more upon his strength so that we can experience his power 
which manifests itself in a fullness of joy is what Jesus is telling us here. So it'd it, it kind of be like this if you work with me. It's kind of a ridiculous picture, but it'd kind of be like a branch being up in the tree, like trying to kind of flex its muscles a little bit to the vine, you know, being like, hey, look, look how strong I am. Isn't that a ridiculous picture? It, it's, 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 it's a picture of a, of a, you know, a branch that's coming out from this massive tree trunk that thinks that it's stronger than the vine that's ultimately giving itself life. That's the picture that we have here. But in our weakness and our vulnerability, Jesus has come to envelop and to enrapture us into his kindness and his loving care. Listen to what he says in John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. So that, that's a command and it's a commitment. Isn't that interesting? That as we abide, he's going to abide in us. As we trust, as we stay in him, he's going to stay in us. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, those sticks that blew off the trees in your yard are not going to produce fruit, right? The wind was just howling yesterday. They're not going to have leaves on them this year. It is a fact, right? Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that uh, he it is who bears much fruit, and here's the, here's the horrifying truth about our lives here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's horrifying to us because we want to be able to do something apart from him. Isn't it so crazy that he has done so much for us, yet we are almost repelled by grace? We are almost repelled by needing Jesus to save us from our weakness. It's crazy to me. So notice how the relationship with Jesus and his disciples started. If you go back to the beginning of the gospel, uh, like say Matthew chapter four, Jesus comes up, he, 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 um, he, he's been, these disciples know who he is, but what does he say to him, uh, to, to, um, to Peter, uh, James, and John? He says what? Hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? Follow me. So, so Jesus's relationship with his disciples starts with us following him. But at the end of his ministry, at the end of these three years that he's been with his disciples, he doesn't say, follow me. What does he say? Abide in me. Do you, do you see how the relationship is deepening? Of course, they're going to follow him, but now they're called to abide in him. It's moved from following to abiding. Now, when they, they'd been with him for three years, they'd been following, learning, observing They'd been a part of the work, but Jesus shifts the language and he doesn't just say, follow me anymore. He doesn't say, just be around me. He says, abide in me, stay in me, remain in me. He's grafting us into this union that he has with his father in heaven. And he wants us to know that before he leaves this world. Now this command in and of itself shows us something about human nature, that we are prone, every Christian in here, you are prone to not stay in Jesus. You are prone, as the hymn says, prone to what? Wander, right? You're prone to wander about. You're prone to leave the God that you love. Now, we can say all, we can say all day long that we don't do that, but we do. We leave him in our hearts when we, when we choose sin, and we sin every day, as, as, as uh, 1 John tells us. And if we say that we don't have any sin, we're liars. And so that's the truth about us. We are prone to depart from the God that loves us. We are prone to not abide. There's something about our human fallen nature that's just repelled by God's grace, that's just repelled by the person and the work of Jesus. 
And we are comforted when we realize how bad we are, but we are repelled when we feel like we don't need him, right? When we feel like we got this on our own. Because it takes work to abide. But what is the work of abiding? That's a question I have. How do we get about the work of remaining in Jesus? I think we could describe the work of abiding in a lot of ways, but it's this hidden root work. It's this, it's this work of staying connected at the root level. So I want you to imagine something with me here. Uh, in Galatians chapter five, and you can go back and look at this maybe this week in your own quiet time. Galatians chapter five presents two realities for the life of, of, of the Christian. That, that on one hand, that, the, 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 um, the, that there are works of our flesh. In other words, the life that we live that is not connected to Jesus is the life of flesh. That there are certain manifestations, certain fruits of the life of the flesh. And then he paints, he paints this other picture that you probably know well if you've been in church, and it is the fruit of the Spirit. So both of these are in Galatians chapter 5. So I want you to imagine it kind of with two trees here. Now, this is something that I kind of... Uh, got from a, an, an author friend of mine. His name is Jeff Vanderstelt. I've kind of created it uh, based on some stuff that he put together. But so if you think about this, the works of the flesh, so how do you do the work of abiding? The, work, the works of the flesh are obvious to us. Galatians 5 says that. Uh, and so you could kind of look at that tree on the left-hand side there, and you could just pick out maybe one of those behaviors. Maybe one from this morning or maybe one from uh, this week. Um, and we could pick one of those out and we'd say, okay, I'm aware that that has manifested itself in my life. And when that happens, you're like, hey, where did that come from, right? So let's just pick out uh, envy for me today. Um, envy. So, so what would it look like when you see the works of the flesh in your life? What would it look like to get reconnected to Jesus, to abide in Jesus? I think it starts with us acknowledging our, our, our envy, right? My envy, I gotta, I've got to acknowledge that. And because Jesus says this, that we're going to know one another by our fruits, right? Matthew 7, 16, we'll know one another by what our lives produce. And so as we look at this envy here, uh, you know, maybe it, maybe it um, I, let me back up. I think the temptation is to say, why did that show up in my life? Why did that particular sin show up at that particular moment? I think it's the wrong thing to focus on. It's not a matter of if your flesh is going to show up, but where it is and what you're going to do with it. And so as our flesh shows up, what we need to do is, is, is do the work of kind of going down the trunk of the tree, right? So what does envy, how does envy uh, manifest itself? Well, maybe it was through a work relationship. Maybe it was, it was through somebody that got a promotion that I thought I should have gotten. Maybe, maybe it was through a situation in a family um, that, that um, you know, where I was kind of judgmental or greedy about something. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But what I know is that envy makes me feel... Um, it makes me, when I, when, I, when I discover envy in my heart, it makes me feel so worthless. It makes me feel so ashamed. I feel like I should be so much further along. And when I feel that sense of shame in my life, well, what am I thinking? Well, I'm thinking that I'm, a, I'm worthless. There's no way that anyone could love me. There's no way, especially that God would love me. And so then I see myself uh, in this place where I'm an unlovable person. And the temptation is to kind of, try to swing to the other tree, right? It's kind of hang a rope up there and swing to the other tree and try to manufacture, try to bolt on some type of behavior that looks like the fruit of the Spirit. But we don't produce fruit, we bear fruit. That's a huge difference. And so how do we bear fruit? Well, we've got to go to Jesus. So this, this is the work. The work of abiding is the work of repentance for us, church. So who am I? Well, I've said I'm, I'm unlovable. 
I'm envious. I'm greedy. Man, I'm awful. What has God done? For at the right time, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm reminded that Christ died for sinners like me. So when I see sin in my life, I'm reminded that God has done something about it. He sent Jesus for me. Well, who is God then? Well, God is a God that loves sinners, and he's done something about our sin. He sent Jesus for us so that we could have fullness of joy once again. He could restore what was lost in the garden and give us so much more. So our desires then begin to get redeemed because we see that we're not just trying to produce something with our lives. So what am I thinking as I realize that I'm a deeply beloved son of God? Well, I'm thinking that God, that this is unbelievable, that I can't believe that God would love someone like me. Well, then what am I feeling? I'm feeling the joy and the pleasure of God in my life. I'm, I'm his son in whom he's well pleased. Well, what am I doing? I'm wanting to stay in that love, right? I'm wanting to stay connected to that root, stay connected to the God who loves me so deeply. And what does he produce through my life as I stay in him? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Those are things that we cannot produce. They are things that he produces through us. It's the work of abiding for us. Now, maybe it's different for you, but it doesn't matter how your flesh shows up, but what you do with it when it does show up. Now, you know, as I begin to think about where we're at in this journey as a church, this work of abiding, this work of staying in Jesus that's so hard, this hidden work that, um, that, that, that we'd rather not do. Um, I asked myself this question as, as one of the pastors of this church, what would it look like for us to live on mission, uh, maybe in a sense to missionally abide? What would that look like? As we're thinking about greater things, we're thinking about all of these things that the Lord wants to do um, in, the, in, the, in the work of our community, in the work of the next generation, and uh, in, in, in the work of us planting our first church, right, and starting new ministries, all of these things that we've laid out before you. My question is, is how should the work of abiding show up and how we go about advancing the kingdom of God? Because I think it should impact that. I think it should impact how we go about that work. This is why we want to, as a church, uh, start a residency program at New City. Uh, We want to plant deep things, things that remain, people that stay in Jesus. And we want to focus our efforts on developing rooted ministry in this world. Rooted works are challenging because they prioritize depth before they uh, prioritize width, right? So they're not a microwave meal, right? They, they take time to develop. You think about something that you've planted in your yard. I don't have much of a green thumb. I kind of kill things, but um, which that, that's a whole other story. But you think about something you've planted. There, there's a season in which there is no visible fruit whatsoever. And then there is a super vulnerable season after that, right? Before the fruit bearing really takes off. That's how we want to go about ministry in this world. We want to prioritize depth before we prioritize width. Now, this residency program that we desire to launch is going to be a training ground for those called to vocational ministry. I don't know if you know this or not, um, but I've just got news recently that there are even a couple of churches around us that are closing their doors. I also heard from a friend of mine who's deeply connected to seminaries that, um, that I think it's like there are two or three 
times the amount of people going into counseling uh, uh, as opposed to, um, which counseling's great, as opposed to um, just like an MDiv track to become a pastor. Um, which tells us this, is that there are less and less laborers, pastors, being equipped and trained to go out into the harvest. That, that's a little bit terrifying to me when I think about the future of the church because it takes time to develop pastors and elders and, and leaders in the church. So we want, we want to address that as a church. We want to raise up people and send them out into the harvest. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 first, the first place that we want to start as a church, um, and this is just kind of a little plug here for what we're going after, we want to bring on two residents within the next three years. One of them will be a church planning resident, and one of them will likely be a college ministry resident because we want to plant deep things. That church planning resident is going to focus on the Latino community in Gwinnett County, which is a vastly underserved community in Gwinnett. It's a community that's growing faster than any other demographic and has less focus from the Protestant church uh, than any other. In fact, when I talk to Jorge and I talk to Juan, and they tell me about how things are going uh, in their communities that they're serving in, they tell me that they don't have they don't really have solid churches to invite these families to. And so for us, it was a, it was a real clear kind of cut and dry plan for what, what God's called us to. And so uh, we, we really just want to invest in that. And then we'll also be starting a young adult and college ministry within the next three years. And one of those residents will be focused on being trained up to start ministry for the 18 to 23-year-old um, kind of gap in our church, but also in our community. And so the bottom line is, is that we want to value missional abiding. We want to plant deep things, rooted things that bear God's fruit. And that is not done quickly. Uh, and so the, the last thing that I, wanna, that I wanna say about John 15 is this, is not only is the Father fully committed to our joy through our abiding relationship with Jesus, but he, is, he also desires for the world to see and experience fruit uh, in our lives. So here's the last thing as I land the plane here. Fruitfulness is the evidence of abiding joy. Paul, Paul Tripp shares this example in his book, Instrument in the Redeemer's Hands. He shares this example that likens uh, attempting to produce change in our lives, uh, in our own lives, much like an apple tree attempting to produce artificial fruit. So if you could work with me for a second. Like I think whenever we, we, we try to produce change, um, we try to manufacture fruit instead of bear fruit through repentance. Uh, it's almost like this. Imagine I had an apple orchard, and it would be Honeycrisp apples, of course. Can we all agree on that? It'd be, it'd be Honeycrisp apples. Um, and uh, imagine I had like 12 apple trees, and uh, 11 of them were like really taking off bearing fruit. But one of them, like right in the middle, was like the best, most visible one. It wasn't really bearing that much fruit. Can you imagine me sending my son Caden up on that tree every day with a bushel of apples, a couple bushels of apples and a staple gun stapling apples on there? Can you imagine that? That's the picture that Paul Tripp gives in his book. And I think it's the picture of our lives whenever we try to manufacture change without repenting. And so for us, it's so scary to own our weakness, to confess our sin to God, but you cannot abide unless you acknowledge your weakness and your desperate dependency. Unless you can say, apart from you, God, I can do nothing. Unless you can get to that place, our lives will never bear fruit that actually last. We'll be stapling apples up every single day. And friends, doesn't that get old? Stapling up those apples, stapling up those behaviors, that never remain because we're just trying to muster up our own strength to do that. 
when we get hyper-focused on fruit management, the fruit never lasts, and it just wears us out and makes us weary. And we often end up in one of two ditches, right? We get so discouraged that we give up, and we feel guilty about that. Um, um, or we, we kind of go in the other ditch where we double down, and we are unbearable to be around. Either way, without the healthy and life-giving roots of the heart, we simply will never know the freedom and joy of abiding in Christ. This is what Jesus says. He says, you didn't choose me, John 15, 16, but I chose you, and I appointed you. I had a plan for your life when I chose you because the Father chose you. That you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, it should last, so that whatever that you ask the Father in my name, he would give it to you, that you would be so connected to the Father's heart that you would be verbalizing his will to him and he would be granting those gifts to you as you ask, that there would be this union with him because there's a huge difference in producing fruit and bearing fruit in our lives. And I think it's the temptation of every church and every believer to manufacture fruit. And I don't want us individually to try to manufacture fruit and I don't want us corporately in this world to go about ministry trying to manufacture in a false way because we wanna do the hidden work of, of chasing the root and asking the Lord to redeem us and change us and transform us from the inside out. This is the work we long to see developed in our lives and in the lives of the ministries that go out from this church. Because all we can do is stay in Jesus. It sounds like the most simple thing in the world, yet it is the hardest thing to do. And there's no way to stay in Jesus without repenting. And so I want to invite you to that today. Consider, what what has the Lord laid on your heart today? You know, you look at that that little, the works of the flesh kind of diagram up there, and you say, okay, what is it that you're wrestling with? I want you to begin to, the process of asking the Lord, what's behind it? What's behind it? Instead of just trying to, to try to you know, double down and change the behavior, ask the Lord what's behind it, and ask him how the joy of abiding is so much better, and let him meet you in that, friends. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.